The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Hi, this is Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio. Um, I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show at hashtag Big Beacon Radio. And uh, we're, uh, uh, we're waiting for our guests to, to join us. And in the meanwhile... Um, uh, would like to uh, talk about uh, some of the issues that uh, that we'll be talking about later uh, uh, when our uh, when our guest joins us if if he's able to. Uh, we're uh, waiting on uh, Barry Johnson of uh, Polarity Partnerships to come talk to us about uh, polarity management and it, polarity management uh, is a it's a fascinating concept and it's very helpful in in thinking about what it means for something to be a movement. Big Beacon is a movement, and, and in some ways we, we're, we're crusaders for change in the world. And on the other hand, there's a lot that's, that's outstanding and excellent in the traditions of engineering education and higher education more generally. So how, how do you balance or manage or somehow take care of the, these things that are opposites? It's, it's, it's uh, to be a traditionalist is in some sense the opposite of um, being a crusader. And yet to bring about change, you need to advocate for, for differences. And yet, on the other hand, you'd like to respect the best, um, the best uh, traditions of, of the past. And so um, we're, we're hoping to be able to talk with uh, Barry Johnson here today, the author of a, of a book called Polarity... Um, Polarity management, and um, uh, the subtitle is identifying and managing unsolvable problems. And I think one of the things that's interesting about this work, especially for engineers, um, but but for we all tend to be problem solvers. We um, we all tend to face organizational life as as a series of problems to be solved, and. Uh, this way of thinking makes the distinction between solutions and um, and the unsolvable, um, these things that are opposites. Um, and so there are many of them in organizational life. Um, one of the ones that we face on a regular basis in organizational life is the uh, 
is the whole idea of of um, the polarity between, say, individual work on the one hand and teamwork on the other. You know, how do, you know, it's not like, uh, and there's a lovely chapter in uh, Dr. Johnson's uh, book about teamwork is not a solution. Um, it's not something that we do once and for all. Teamwork is something that we often adopt in a team setting, but it, we still value individual work. And so how do we, how do we maintain those things that are opposite? You can't, at the same time, an individual cannot be doing individual work and teamwork. Um, they, they are, in some sense, irreconcilable opposites. On the other hand, it's not one or the other. It's one and the other. And so, um, um, how, do we, how, do we, how do we do that? And, the, and, and really, uh, um, one of the things that's so, so nice about this framework, the framework of polarity management, is calling this to our attention and saying, look, there are these things. That we don't um, um, that we don't do in um, uh, one or the other that we do them that we do them both and and uh, I think it's a nice way a nice way to think about this is in the con I think of it actually from my own background of evolutionary computation that um, um, in evolutionary computation you evolve solutions to problems or evolve um, you evolve some sort of way of doing something, whether we call it a solution or not, uh, and, and uh, get mixed up in the in the the solution non solution dichotomy is not important. But you evolve the way some way of doing something, uh, making a jet engine, building a bridge, what have you. Uh, and um, one of the things that we recognize in evolutionary computation is that the the fuel for future innovation really is mainly coming from diversity. Uh, if it's in, in a population setting and we're using operators like crossover where we exchange something from mom and something from dad to create something from, from, from an offspring, to, to create a new offspring, that offspring is, is different um, from, from mom and dad. Um, and 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 if mom and dad are substantially different, then the, the child can be substantially different. And yet when the population converges and we have solutions that are very much like one another, when we cross mom and dad, the, the, the child is very much, much like the, the, the similar mom and dad. And so it's the diversity that is actually the fuel for change. And I think that's very much in the spirit of... of, um, of um, um, polarity, polarity management to, to, to respect differences in this way, and and um, um, come up with ways of doing things that um, have uh, these contradictory elements, and and there are different ways of doing that. So you can do that. So for example, one way of of, of managing diversity is to have diversity across an organization. So, and, and we recognize that we don't have all engineers in an organization. We have engineers, we have accountants, we have marketing people. So we have people from different backgrounds. And we may, we may have ethnic, uh, racial and gender diversity um, across our organizations. And, and, and one of the 
the strong arguments for that kind of diversity is the kind of innovation that it that it um, that it gives us, as well as uh, in addition to the arguments that are usually made from uh, fairness grounds. But from the standpoint of effectiveness, that kind that kind of diversity oftentimes gives us different kinds of of of, uh, of solutions. So. Um, when you um, so so this so one way of of having diversity uh, in an organization is to have different and we we do this and quite naturally and we think nothing of it but we'll have different we'll have different units we'll have the HR unit we'll have the marketing unit we'll have the engineering unit and and people with different backgrounds um, will be in those and sometimes we'll be intentional about having uh, diversity within a unit. So, for example, uh, last week we had um, we had uh, Rich Sheridan on the show talking to us about Joy Inc. and Menlo Innovations in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and he was talking about the ways in which uh, projects. Um, well, actually, pri- so there's actually a number of interesting polarities that were that were that came out of if we think about that show that uh, that we can talk about in that show. Um, maybe the most important one or the most interesting one was the the polarity of individual and teamwork, which was a f- very well managed by the introduction of pair work. So you had pairs of individuals sitting at a single computer doing coding. And so th- that's a really interesting and powerful way to manage the polarity between individual work and teamwork. So it's sort of the, so in, in, um, uh, in some ways it's the best of both worlds. It's you, so you have individual creativity able to express itself directly to another person. And somebody goes, Oh my gosh, that's great. Or have people kind of working out it together and, and contributing one to the other. So you you actually, in a in a in a very straightforward setting, have both collaboration and individual work kind of managed moment by moment in the introduction of of uh, of pair work. So that's so that's so there's a there's an interesting polarity um, that's being managed. But we're talking we're talking about this ability to to manage. Um, uh, and so there's an actually kind of an institutional or a team arrangement um, that uh, allows us to manage a, a polarity. Um, another way that we can manage a polarity is in time. So a single individual can at one moment um, choose to be engaged in individual work and to then choose to be engaged in in collaboration, and that's a, that's a common way of managing individual team efforts. So, you what we have meetings. Meet a meeting is an institutional structure that allows us to come together and collaborate at a particular point in time. Whereas, um, a um, uh, when we go back to our office or our cubicle, um, we're we're working mainly as an individual, and so the the management of the polarity is in large part. Uh, a function in many organizations of the the ways in which we meet, and we we might not call out meetings and individual times of individual work effort as as managing that polarity, but that's that's the institutional framework in which uh, individual and teamwork is often managed. And so, I think it's very nice to think about these polarities as things that where they they contribute. Uh, one to the other in ways that are um, that are productive and um, 
in the in so in 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 so doing, you kind of go back and forth and and effectively um, manage. Now, the word manage is an interesting word in this context, um, and and I'm actually I have to say I'm not actually and and uh, I'm not actually a fan of the word managed because manage well so management um, gives the sense that there's kind of an ad hoc process going on by which we do that, that there's kind of a lack of system. And the systems engineer in me sort of um, rebels at the idea that, well, why can't we make this more systematic? Or why can't we give some of the structure or rules of how we manage um, uh, manage polarities, but um, but I think it's I think it's very powerful to call these uh, call these out, and I think um, I think one of the things that we want to do in um, in this in this program is to um, think about some of the polarities that that uh, Mark Somerville and I called out in um, in a whole new engineer, and think about those in the context of well, what are what are what's the pole? What is what's the thing that in, in engineering education is the more dominant way of, of behaving and and how do we how do we manage uh, how do we manage these polarities that arise not just in engineering education but in higher education more generally so for example in in um, um, in the book we we talked about um, in uh, chapter five uh, Mark and I talked about the five pillars so-called pillars of engineering education transformation, joy, trust, courage, uh, openness, and connection or collaboration. And, um, of course, if you, if you think, you don't have to think very hard to, to kind of connect those back to, um, um, uh, some sort of, uh, polar, pole, uh, pole that's in opposition um, to to them. So for um, um, you know, certainly the the opposite. You know, joy. There's a lack of joy or seriousness. Might we might say joy versus seriousness. Um, trust um, versus versus what? Trust versus um, n- not trusting or sus- suspicious or um, um, skeptical. Um, 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 joy, trust, courage, openness, um, closed and and um, um, in non-transparent, um, uh, collaborative, uh, individual work, and um, and, um, and and so forth. And so it's these these polar these poles these these polar opposites that we're calling out. And sometimes. In reading the book, people have said, well, a whole new engineer, right? we're going to create fluffy engineers that are unable to build a bridge that stands up. And, but they're, they're all very happy, joyful, trustful, and courage, but they're not actually, courageous, but they're not actually going to be able to engineer worth a, worth a damn. And, and, of course, that's not the intent at all. And, and, and when we look at some of the exemplars of schools that we think are doing this right, we get, for example, Olin College that's called out on the show fairly frequently. And, and uh, some people say, it, when you look at, for example, Princeton Reviews and some of the lists that, that get made, Olin gets listed on the, the, lit, the top of hardest programs, hardest higher education programs, as, all, as well as most fun. So there's an example of having your cake and eating it too and having, uh, having challenge 
and, and, and joy or having challenge and support both in combination that give us a more joyful and happy experience. And so, um, so, so the outcome here is not to not have that the, uh, I think that, that Barry would say the poles kind of reinforce, um, reinforce each other. Well, and, and, um, Looking at my my monitor here, it looks like our our guest has has called in, and so we're going to take a we're going to take a little break, and and um, in the second segment, we'll we'll welcome uh, um, uh, Barry Johnson uh, to our show and and have him talk to us, uh, give give us his take on uh, this idea of his on uh, polarity management. Uh, this is Big Beacon Radio, and in the next uh, in the next segment, we'll be joined by by Barry Johnson, author of. Polarity Management. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg, and we urge you to get a copy of the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education, at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And uh, before the break, uh, I was uh, um, talking a little bit about the value of polarity thinking in, um, 
in 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 the whole new engineer and big beacon and in thinking about higher ed transformation and in this segment we are joined by um, mr polarity management himself barry johnson barry welcome to the show well thank you very much david and my apologies for um having the wrong schedule in my calendar um but i'm glad to be with you now well and we're glad to have you barry and and uh, let's just jump right in and get uh, get our audience to know you a little bit better you've been a a writer, a facilitator of change, a thought leader for over 43 years, and you've, you've authored the important book that I was talking about in the last segment, Polarity Management, Identifying and Managing Unsolvable Problems. But let's go back to the log cabin. Um, what were some of the early influences in your life that put you on this path? Um, well, I was, uh, uh, as a, when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a Lutheran minister, And then um, I ended up, uh, between college and seminary, I ended up going and living in East Harlem for five years uh, as a part of, uh, it was initially going to be a one-year internship between seminary, between college and seminary. And while I was uh, living in East Harlem during the 60s, Hmm. um, I got involved in in both uh, the civil rights movement uh, with Dr. King and in the... uh, uh, in the anti-war movement, and uh, and I, I I ended up deciding that that um, uh, well, my my wife said to me after five years, she said normally you get through seminary in three years, and it's five years we've been living here. How far have you gotten through seminary? Because I kept leaving seminary to get involved in various movement type activities. Yes. And uh, as it turned out, I only had uh, about a semester or about a year worth of school in five years. And so uh, she said, well, maybe your ministry is more about what you have been doing than what you are, think you're planning to do. Beautiful. And I thought there was some truth to that. So I decided I wanted to um, understand. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life just protesting things I didn't like. I decided I wanted to learn about how systems worked and how we get ourselves into those situations that I was protesting so that I could try to help uh, uh, minimize the... Uh, minimize wars rather than just protesting them, or minimize um, organizations that weren't functioning very well, or uh, whatever, and somehow um, be a, be a part of the solution rather than just complaining about the problem. So that brought me into <clears throat> uh, leaving seminary and going through some systematic training, um, a lot of uh, T group stuff with the NTL type workshops, and then got trained as a Gestalt therapist. And then I started working with, worked with individuals and then with couples and then with groups. And I was intentionally have been working with larger and larger systems and trying to learn what I could about how systems work in order to help them work more effectively and how to bring about positive change. So that's sort of the history. And it was in, as I was just finishing my two years of training as a Gestalt therapist that the first polarity map occurred, and that was in 1975. And so... Uh, that occurred in a in a one on one session with a client, and what, what happened during that session is uh, uh, what was that we we created a, uh, the first polarity map on the floor as an effort to walk through the different dimensions of her issue, and it mm. showed up then as a as a polarity. And I thought, wow, this has implications for the kinds of changes I was wanting to make and the kind of issues I was protesting about. And so uh, and it, it seemed to apply at every level of system from individuals to families to organizations to nation states. And so I've been on that quest about trying to understand the phenomena of polarities or paradox or interdependent pairs 
since that time and have written a few books about it, but we keep learning all the time from, from a lot of people who are doing it even without necessarily being intentional, which I think is true of uh, your and Mark's book, The Whole New Engineer. Great. And, and you know, such an, uh, thanks for sharing that. Such an interesting story of the, um, the origins. And in, in, in the book, and I, and I suspect that you know, the story you just told was, was unleashing in, in the same sense that we intend in a whole new engineer, that we, we hope that education will um, become where, where, where people more generally are unleashed to the possibilities in, in their lives as opposed to trained and educated only. And of course, there are polarities in, in, in what I just said. But, you know, what um, the, your, your path is a, there's a, there's certain, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, courage required to take the path, even from the very beginning. And so um, what was it about either earlier experience or who in your life uh, g- helped you have the courage to trust yourself enough to take the paths that you've taken? Um, <clears throat> well, there have been, uh, uh, been a, a number of people. One certainly important, uh, important one was... Um, was uh, Bill Weber, who was the founder of the East Harlem Protestant Parish. Hmm. He came back from World War II. He was a white uh, graduate of Harvard and Harvard Divinity School, and he and some other clergy decided to create the East Harlem Protestant Parish um, as a... um, as a, uh, serving the the the, uh, the people who were located in East Harlem, and he, you know, raised his kids there and lived there um, uh, for uh, about thirty years, and uh, he was the one that created the East Harlem internship program of which I was a part. Yes. Uh, so he would be an important person. Um, uh, Dr. King was another important person I worked with. Um, when uh, when Dr. King came out against the war um, in Vietnam, it was a real. Uh, it took a lot of courage on his part. There was because there was real tension within um, uh, SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership yes. Conference, about whether he should come out publicly against the war, because there were a lot of people who were financially supportive of SCLC um, and for the civil rights movement, but not opposed to the war. And so the concern was if he comes out against the war, uh, then, um, he's met, he's meddling not in, uh, you know, the poverty of civil, the, the, uh, you know, the purview of civil rights, but he's now in, in international affairs and they're going to criticize him, which they did for speaking in terrains that he should not be talking about. And they knew they were going to lose a lot of money. And so I was in the conversation with Dr. King and Andrew Young um, in which the discussion took place about if and how he should come out publicly against the war in Vietnam. And, um, and he was very clear as we talked about this. He said, well, he said, uh, you know, with the number of people who are dying on both sides in Vietnam, for me to be opposed to the war and not articulate that opposition with everyone who's suffering because of this war, it's just untenable any longer. He had been opposed for a while, but had not been public about it. And so, um, so when we were in that conversation, he said, you know, that I have to come out against the war. And so the question was not if, but how. And so wow. I was a part of a small group that, was, that organized his coming out at Riverside Church in opposition to the war. So, so Bill Weber and Dr. King were two people whose courage uh, I experienced and wanted to emulate. Wow. <laughs> um, 
That's a pretty good uh, courage, uh, profiles and courage pedigree. That's, uh, again, beautiful stories, and thanks for, thanks for sharing them. Um, and it's and I'm having trouble trans. I'm so moved by the stories. I'm having trouble transitioning. But I, but let's let's move ahead and and um, and you talked about the origins of the first polarity map in in some mm-hmm. of your Gestalt work. Uh, mm-hmm. So just for our listeners, so you know, what is a what is a polarity in, in your terms? Well, well, a, a, I think the best descriptor of a polarity is that it's an interdependent pair. So there are two dimensions of life that, that need each other over time. Uh, so it could be as simple as inhaling and exhaling uh, or activity and rest, or it could be, uh, you know, some of the polarities that you and Mark yes. mentioned in, uh, in your book around the yep. whole new engineer. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, leadership polarities include being able to be clear and be flexible um, and uh, to uh, be self-assured and humble. If you're clear without being flexible, you're seen as rigid. If you're flexible without being clear, you're seen as ambiguous. So the question is, how can you be both clear and flexible? So polarities are those dimensions in life, in leadership or in organizations or in the environment, dimensions of interdependent pairs that show up. And when we can see them, we can intentionally uh, leverage them. By intentionally, for example, for example, um, I think effective leaders, effective teachers, are both self-assured and humble. If we're self-assured in our teaching without being humble, we're seen as arrogant. And if we're humble in our teaching without being self-assured, we're seen as wishy-washy and not having, you know, conviction yes. or substance. So the question is, how can we be both self-assured and humble, or both clear and flexible? Those are, are kind of, uh, and you know, do we do we pay attention to uh, is it is it curriculum centered or is it student centered? The education, well, you know, it, seeing that as a both and is is uh, more effective yes. than choosing, assuming we can choose one over the other. So those are some, organizationally centralizing and decentralizing are good examples of polarities. Short term and long term um, continuity and transformation would be some in the organizational arena. Yeah. Nice and and uh, the cover of your book and and you mentioned the polarity the the first drawing of the first polarity map and of course we're on radio which doesn't lend ourselves to showing pictures but I think the maybe our listeners can get a uh, either draw it for themselves but I think the polarity maps that you that you draw are particularly effective in in following the the usual limit cycle of unintentional uh, of how we end up getting into polarity loops I I think of the I think of them as the butterfly diagrams, but um, so what? What are the? I mean, uh, yeah, maybe I we think, can help help our listeners sketch this out for themselves. Having to put it down is if you imagine looking at a person's face and they've got glasses on. Yeah. Uh, each eyeball could be the names of the poles of a polarity. Yeah. And then if you follow the rim of the glasses in sort of the, the, a figure eight, just following the rim from the downside of the rim on the left eye, following that rim up over the nose of the person and then up above their right eye and then follow it back around, just following the rim of the glasses. So it's like a pair of glasses in the figure, figure eight over the two eyes. And the two eyes would be the poles of the polarity. And so what we're suggesting is that energetically, if you will, the eyebrows, the two upsides above the eyes are positive things that, uh, that, are, that come with 
that pole of the polarity. So if you had where the eyes would be, if you had inhaling and exhaling where the two eyeballs would be in this image, um, uh, above, the, above the left eye as you look at it, um, uh, you could have inhaling. And, the, and, and so the energy would flow along that figure eight of the glasses going above the right eye. And when you inhale, you get the benefits of that. But if you follow that energy around that infinity loop and watch it drop down around the outside of the glasses down towards the cheek, then uh, you you experience the limits of inhaling alone. And anybody who, if you inhale and hold your breath, you'll experience the limits of inhaling. And as you get to the downside of that pole, then you cross over back over the nose on the following the glasses, over the nose above the left eye and that eyebrow, and you exhale in order to get the benefits of exhaling. You clean out carbon dioxide. But over time, that exhaling, if you follow the glasses around then to the left cheek, coming down to the bottom part of the glasses, that downside is you experience the limits of exhaling alone. And, and when you experience the limits of one pole, the limits of exhaling, the natural thing is to go to the upside of the other pole as the natural self-correction. And so over time, you're just oscillating around this infinity loop, sort of around the rims of your glasses, uh, around the two eyes, if you will, of the... Now, and I, I think and, and that visualization is uh, very helpful and very effective for getting people to to um, to uh, see the um, see the power of uh, polarity uh, th- polarity thinking polarity management. You know, so this show is is um, um, very interested in effective change um, processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the world we live in. Um, there's a lot of change, a lot of it brought on by technology, a lot of it brought on by different economic uh, possibilities. And we've had people mm-hmm. like um, uh, social change, folks like Adam Kahane, uh, organizational change and cultural uh, gurus like Ed Schein, uh, corporate change folks like John Cotter. And, how, mm-hmm. um, and so there are personal approaches, corporate approaches, uh, planning approaches. How, how would you... How would you characterize uh, your work in in the landscape of thinking about change? Well, I think um, one of the big differences um, uh, is that most change uh, most change processes are built on on pretty much a a problem solving approach. What is wrong is identified as a problem, and the change is uh, is a part is being a part of the solution. So. Um, uh, and, and often what is used in the change arrangement, both for individual development and, and student development and in organizational or colleges development, um, is a, a kind of a gap analysis orientation. So uh, gap analysis essentially has three elements to it. A present condition that is less than desirable, which you could put in the lower part of a polarity map, the lower left side, for example, at the bottom by the cheek of where the glasses sit on the cheek. And, and that's problematic. So you've got a problem. For example, let's say an organization is, um, is, uh, is, too, uh, uh, is too centralized and it is, um, uh, you know, it's too bureaucratic and they say, well, we want to be more spontaneous. We want to be more flexible. We want to encourage entrepreneurship. And so what they identify, the problem is we're too rigid and structured, too hierarchical, and we need to move to be more spontaneous, more emergent, 
and more informal in our structure, etc. And so the, the move towards spontaneity, innovation, and informality is seen as a solution to the rigidity of the hierarchy. And in one sense, it's true. Um, it's like, you know, if you've been exhaling for a while, inhaling is what you need to do. But inhaling isn't a solution to exhaling as a problem. Inhaling is a natural self-correction from the limits of inhaling alone to the benefits of exhaling. Exhaling itself will have its own downside. So um, what we talk about is most change efforts are built on a gap analysis, which have this, um, which often indicate the downside of one pole, the upside of another pole, and a strategy to bridge the gap between the two. And what's missing is seeing it as a self-correction in an ongoing oscillation uh, around two poles of a polarity. So um, often what happens in the change effort, even though it is absolutely what's necessary, there will be resistance to the move from those who are afraid they're going to lose the benefits of the pole from which they're going, and they're going to get caught in the downside of the pole towards which they're headed. So people who would be resisting the move to go towards innovation, flexibility, and, and decentralizing of the system, those who would be resisting the move would be resisting because there's something they value that is about the historical reason that the hierarchy got, and the structures got created in the first place. They served a function. The problem is we're experiencing the limits of those functions, and so now we're looking for a self-correction, which is to go decentralize. But the difficulty is that you're not paying attention to the baby when you throw out the bathwater, which is the contribution that structure brought in the first place. And so what happens is you generate fear in those who are holding on to the traditional structure, a fear that you're going to let go of it in the name of decentralization, and you're going to have a loss of what is valued, that structure, coordination, system integration, all that's going to be lost and you're going to have entropy and chaos which is, in fact, what happens if you go to decentralization without any centralization. So what we, we make a distinction whenever somebody is talking about a significant change they want to make to say, well, it's, it's, there's no question about making the change. The question is, is the change better seen as a segment of an ongoing oscillation of, of a polarity energy system, or is it a problem with a solution? If it's a problem with a solution, just solve it and you're done. But if it, in fact, is a self-correction in an ongoing oscillation of a polarity, then it's going to be very helpful to pay attention to the whole polarity, which will have two upsides and two downsides rather than just one downside going to the other upside. Yep. And so I, I want to follow up on this uh, and talk about this some um, some more. We, of course, uh, many people in the show come from a problem-solving background in engineering and want to want to right. talk about that a little little bit more deeply. Uh, this is Big Beacon Radio with special guest Barry Johnson. And in the next segment, we want to uh, dive more into polarity management and talk a little bit about uh, what this means in the context of, of uh, higher education transformation. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. 
David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And get the coaching uh, and deep faculty development from, from Georgetown trained coaches that you need to help transform higher education at your institution at 3joy.com. And, and we're back with uh, Barry Johnson, author of Polarity Management. In the last segment, we were talking uh, a little bit about uh, um, polarities and, and how, they, how they work uh, when we're not intentional around them. And so I guess I'm – so. Um, so now, so now, you're, we say somebody's now intentional. They they they've read your book. They've come to your workshops. They they have a sense of how polarities work. How do they? How in practice? Um, how does someone become a? What what does someone do as a better polarity manager? Well, um, <clears throat> Dave, what we've done is um, we've identified a a five-step process that we use the acronym uh, SMALL, uh, think small to go big, um, and, uh, and it, it contains five uh, steps that we think are helpful. The first one is being able to see the polarity. So um, uh, seeing an issue, uh, being able to differentiate, is this essentially a problem to solve and, and using, you know, experience problem-solving skills if it is, but if it is a polarity to leverage, then what we need to do is we need to uh, map it. So the, the S is for seeing, the M is for mapping. And mapping allows us to just fill in the content that works for us, um, for the stakeholder group. So whoever I'm consulting with, um, um, I, I'm, I'm not bringing content to the map, uh, even the names of the polls. It's like whatever works for them, it just has to meet certain criteria. The names of the yeah. polls have to be either both neutral or both positive, for example, in the, in the minds of the stakeholders. So if they're both neutral or both positive, then um, I'll, I'll give you an example just to be real clear. So I was working with the Department of Defense, and uh, they, uh, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for the Department of Defense um, invited me in. He had heard about polarity thinking, and he said, uh, we've got two groups in our, within the Department of Defense, in the information discipline of the Department of Defense. One of them says we have to have information security. Without information security, um, you know, uh, the enemy will know our information and we can't serve and protect without good information security. Another group is saying we have to have information sharing. If we don't have quality information sharing, we're going to have another 911 and we can't serve and protect without information sharing. And he called me up and he said, Barry, 
you know, um, I had, I'd had a dinner with him a few months before, and he said, I think this is one of those polarity things you were talking about. He said, but we've got these two groups are trying to protect the country from the other group. And he said, in this fight, neither of us, uh, you know, neither, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who wins, we're not going to serve and protect our country. He said, can you come in and help us uh, do something about this tension within the Department of Defense? So notice, this is, by the way, 40 years after I was standing outside the, the Pentagon uh, demonstrating against the war, but, but now I'm inside the Pentagon working with the Deputy Chief Information Officer and his executive team trying to figure out how do we better leverage this polarity. So he saw it, then we came in and we mapped it. So we, we generate content. What would be all the positive results we're looking for when we build the map? We're saying, well, what would be all the positive results if you did a good job of information sharing? And then we go to the upside of the other poll. What would be a good job if you did, and what would be, I mean, sorry, what would be the positive results if we did a good job of information security? And then you look at the two downsides. What happens if we overfocus on information security to the neglect of sharing and sharing to the neglect of security? So now we've done that second step. We've mapped it. Once you've got a polarity map, you can assess it. Matter of fact, you can have every stakeholder in the organization assess it. We've got a web-based assessment. You can drop the map into the assessment and you can assess how well are we doing. Then the next step is learning. So SMA, assess, and then L is learning. What do we learn from the assessment that informs how we're going to adjust in the future to the recent assessment of the polarity? And if you, you can assess the polarity on a regular basis because it's an ongoing monitor of a living energy system that you've identified as important. So you can assess it regularly. The final step is called leveraging. So... It's seeing, mapping, assessing, learning, and leveraging. And leveraging involves intentionally creating action steps to get at both upsides of the pull. So you're asking the self, what are, yourselves, what are we doing or could we be doing to make sure we maximize these upsides of information sharing? And what are we doing or could we be doing to maximize the upsides of information security? And so the action steps help you do the first part of leveraging a polarity well, which is to maximize both upsides. And then the early warnings show up in, the, in relation to the downsides. So alongside the, the downside of each quadrant, you ask the question, will we know early that we are getting into the downside of information sharing? And on the other side, how will we know early that we're getting into the downside of information security? Because you want to know early so that you can, in fact, self-correct. So since it's, a, it's an ongoing dynamic energy system, you need to be able to measure it on occasion, get a feel for uh, it's, it, the energy moving back and forth, and you can then intentionally uh, leverage uh, both upsides, and that lifts the whole system to a competitive advantage, especially over a system which is fighting over whether we're going to have information security or information sharing, which is where they were when we were invited in. Yeah, and so, um, and and the both, and and I guess I'm curious. So, um, and again, if you're if you're working with action-oriented people, you're working with uh, you're in an organizational setting. People want to do something, and so right. Uh, what are some of the leveraging moves? What is it, you know, so what is it that people, you know, you, so you're actually going to take an action step, and sometimes these are institutional changes where you actually make different structures in your system to 
to sort of pay attention to the you, you've you've called attention to the importance of both of these things, but you actually yeah. don't have any institutional framework to 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 actually do that in a, on an ongoing basis. So, what are some of the what are some of the kinds of moves that people make to as as action steps to actually do something to help um, get that competitive advantage of paying attention to both polls? Okay, well, I'll give you some examples. Um, let's take uh, Singapore International Airlines. Um, uh, Singapore International Airlines, uh, and we've never, we've never introduced polarity thinking to Singapore International Airlines, so this brings a, a really important point to share with you, and that is that you do not need to... Um, uh, you do not need to necessarily know about polarity thinking in order to have uh, used your own life experience and intuitive wisdom sure. to actually uh, do some leveraging well of polarities. And I think that's what you and Mark have done in your book. And um, uh, what uh, uh, the example I want to give is uh, with Singapore International Airlines. And they made the assumption... Uh, in the, on the seeing dimension, that they could have a very cost-effective airline and have the um, uh, and and have uh, be rated number one in uh, service excellence. Service, yeah. So they can have high-quality service and uh, cost-effectiveness. Now, Singapore International Airlines has been the best airline in the planet. Designated the best. Uh, airline to fly in in terms of customer service quality for 21 years. They are also the cheapest airline in terms of cost per flying mile, uh, even even, uh, ahead of the uh, budget airlines in the United States and Europe. Now, how did they get to be the most cost-effective airline on the planet and provide the best quality service? You have to, first of all, see that it is a polarity. Then you can intentionally... When you see it as a both hand, now you can intentionally go after both things. Let me give you an example of how that works. Um, what they and, and you're always thinking of both in, in, in parallel with each other. So one thing they, they do is they say, look, anything that the customer sees or experience, we, you know, we invest highly in. So if you're gonna, how would this manifest itself? If you were to fly from from San Francisco to Singapore on on uh, Singapore International Airlines, no matter whether you're in first class, business class, or lower class, economy class, I guess I call it. Um, if you would uh, uh, if you would go to the back of the plane, there's a spread laid out there for you any time during the night. You go back there, you can get something to eat, you can get something to drink. You don't use your credit card, you don't pay a thing. It's just there. And now this, now what they did here is they say, look, if the customer sees it or experiences it, make it be quality. So that's, that's on the customer service side for excellence there. On the cost-cutting side, the next question is, but, but what, where can you cut corners that the customers don't see? Singapore International Airlines built their corporate offices on top of their hangar. Now, how many million dollars do you save by having your corporate offices on top of a hangar when you've already paid for the square footage um, on the ground rather than being in downtown Singapore. Um, uh, so, so it's like uh, this, is, uh, this is a way of paying attention. Also, what do you do? You, you pay employees for, you give them uh, uh, money in payment for any cost-saving thing they come up with, and you give them money for any quality enhancement that they come up with that, are, that is used. Um, so, 
So you're, you're creating within, within the system, you're creating a dual strategy culture. Everybody's in on it. Everybody knows we, we are doing both of these things. We can do both of these things. And you continue to generate new ways to do both. But those are just examples of, of action. Sometimes nice. you have what's called a high leverage action step. For example, they have the youngest airline fleet in the world. Now, a young fleet actually supports uh, customer service because they have the newest planes with the, with the greatest comfort, and they co-design their planes so they're even better. But also new airplanes uh, result in less downtime and repairs. They have the shortest downtime of any planes in the world in terms of the amount of times they're in the hangar. And yep. also they have fewer disruptions of flights because of a, of a plane malfunctioning. So, you, so economically, they save money by not having downtime in hangars, and service-wise, they have the best planes and they have the least um, flight delays. A great example, and and uh, we're we're almost out of out of time, um, and maybe give you uh, got about a minute left. So, like, what one thing would you like to tell our listeners that you? haven't had a chance to say, and then where can they find out more about your work? About a minute, about half a minute okay. left. <laughs> well, they, they can just go to uh, www.polaritypartnerships.com and uh, check out what we've got. And um, I just uh, one final thing is that you've been living and working in polarities your whole life, so it, it, it's not a foreign thing for, experientially. We just think that the polarity map and set of principles enhances the capacity you already have to a significant degree, uh, and uh, so I hope that that will be that would be supportive in enhancing a capacity you already have. Great, thanks, thanks, Barry, for being with us. It was uh, uh, very enlightening, and, and, and enjoyed hearing especially about some of the early days of it. Okay. Well, thank you very much for the invitation, and I apologize for missing the starting time. No worries. Uh, special thanks to our, our guest, uh, uh, Barry Johnson. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education, Help Transform Higher Education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, as we continue our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.